Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Conan released from hospital, WWE denies Kyrie Zane's request, and I take you through my top 10 Elimination Chamber matches of all time. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. If you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. Last night was Friday Night Smackdown, but before we get into that, let's take a look at our news. Conan released from the hospital. If you remember yesterday, I reported Conan uh, was admitted into a hospital for kidney issues, and yesterday it was announced by Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer that he has been cleared to leave. Uh, Conan had a kidney transplant back in 2007 and dealt with major side effects from time to time from the anti-rejection drugs that you get when you do a kidney transplant. And uh, he was recently diagnosed with COVID-19. And Conan himself said upon his release from the hospital that, quote, was very sick last week and was bedridden for three days. I got COVID, went to the hospital, and my kidneys were failing, unquote. Uh, Daily DDT wishes Conan a speedy and healthy recovery. And crazy enough, he, he was booked for matches this weekend for AEW tapings, for AAA tapings, for MLW. He's still wrestling to this day. And for the fact that, you know, you never want to see anybody uh, undergo COVID-19, and especially when they have a pre-existing condition like how Conan did. It's the real effects of what COVID-19 is today. WWE not granting permission to work upcoming stardom in Japan to Kairi Sane. If you remember, Sane had her big send-off matches, uh, tag team with Asuka, and uh, having a match against Bailey in 2020. And Sane returned to Japan to be with her husband last year uh, to work as a WWE ambassador. And according to the Wrestling Observer, Sane was not granted permission to work the biggest show in stardom history scheduled for March 3rd in Tokyo. Sane is still currently under contract with the WWE, so anything that she would do in-ring would have to go through the WWE, and this is WWE saying no to Kairi Sane competing in a match in Japan. And uh, this would have been huge for Kairi Sane, and uh, they talked about her having a singles match. There was one plan for her. Another plan would, would have been in a Legends ro- uh, Battle Royal, if you will. Uh, but no, WWE nicks all of that for Kairi Sane. But understandably so, she is under contract with the WWE. It's not like she is let go and still in a non complete P calls or anything like that, she's still a part of the WWE as a whole as an ambassador. Taking a look at last night's Friday Night SmackDown, opening the show is Edge, not Roman Reigns. Usually when we see uh, Friday Night SmackDown for the past month or so, it's been Roman Reigns opening the show with his nice long entrance, walking down the ramp with Paul Heyman and Jey Uso. But no, this time it's Edge, and that was announced uh, prior to Friday Night SmackDown, saying Edge uh wants to talk about his decision-making going towards WrestleMania after winning the Royal Rumble. Edge calls this decision the biggest of his career. Roman Reigns enters with Paul Heyman and Jey Uso, of course. Not like you thought you were going to start a show without Roman Reigns. You kidding me? Roman Reigns says you can pick a main eventer, meaning the main eventers that would be in the Elimination Chamber that are uh, for both Raw and SmackDown, or you can pick the main event, main event being 
Roman Reigns himself. Uh, Edge calls Reigns insecure, warns Reigns that he can expose the dents in his armor anytime. Sami Zayn enters and gets involved in this segment as well, explains that Roman uh, is, isn't looking at what's right in front of him, which the, the SmackDown Elimination Chamber match is a number one contendership match, meaning that whoever wins that will face Roman Reigns, and funny enough, at the Elimination Chamber itself. So they're going to have a double duty that night, whoever wins it. And Sami Zayn says, well, why aren't, why aren't you worrying about me? Jey Uso supercakes Sami Zayn. And what was great about this segment is that Edge and Roman Reigns didn't break eye contact once with Sami Zayn of running amok, uh, trying to go through the open of the show. Uh, Roman Reigns whispers something in Edge's ear. No one hears it, and it was intentional for us not to hear it. Uh, something that Roman Reigns and Edge hold personally near and dear to their hearts. And I think this this is the way uh, WWE will go with the uh, choice for Edge. I think it's going to be Edge, Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And I think Roman Reigns is going to come out on top. I don't, think, I don't see Roman Reigns losing this Universal Championship for a long, long time. But if it does go Edge, WWE Championship... Whoever it may be, McIntyre, Styles, or in Kingston, hard, hard, whoever is in the uh, <laughs> Raw uh, Elimination Chamber match, uh, I think it will be Edge coming out on top. But they're going to build the narrative that this is the belt that uh, Edge never lost. The Universal Championship is new. The WWE Championship also holds uh, the World Heavyweight Championship along with it, I believe, uh, given that they were combined in, at TLC, was it 2013 TLC, 2014 TLC between uh, Orton and uh, Cena? So uh, technically, Edge did not lose that belt. He had to get rid of the belt, he had to vacate it because of his injury, and now he's back, wants to win that title back. I think that's a narrative that they can go if they decide for Edge to go for the uh, WWE Championship. But if not, and he goes for the Universal Championship, uh, I don't see any way that he wins that match uh, credibly. Uh, with Roman Reigns uh, as hot as he is right now in the WWE. He's the hottest thing going, Roman Reigns right now. So I have seen no way that that belt comes off. And I don't see that, that belt coming off of Roman Reigns for a very long time, at least until The Rock comes back. That, that's what I had to say. It's going to be The Rock that's going to take it off him or so, someone else big. But it's gonna it has to be big because I, I know Edge is big time as well. And, you know, as it stands right now in WWE Lord, the Edge is probably the biggest return we've seen in a long time. But... Uh, for it to for it to be Edge and take it off Roman Reigns, I think it would leave a sour taste in a lot of people's mouth. A lot of people want to see Roman Reigns rock at Mania. It's not going to be this Mania, and maybe not even going to be the next Mania, AT&T. It might be WrestleMania Hollywood in, what is it, going to be two years away? That's going to be tough for a lot of, a pill to swallow for a lot of people, but it might be uh, well worth it when we get Roman Reigns rock. Next segment, Apollo Crews versus Shinsuke Nakamura. We got Big E on commentary. And uh, he has the couch with him, that nice white couch. He has a TV dinner in front of him. I believe they said it was, what is it, mashed potatoes and Salisbury steak with a brownie. Oh, yeah, that's uh, exactly what you want to watch. Uh, you know, that, that, that's like a, a classic, a classic staple of uh, TV dinners there. And I have in all caps in my notes, a foot bath. He, had, he was barefoot and he had his feet in a foot bath, I guess, um, healing those bunions, if you will. In a pre-match promo, Cruz says that after this match, he's going to go for the IC title pretty much, and he wants to be back in the picture of it, especially with Big E as the champion. 
And uh, as action falls outside, Cruz throws Shinsuke Nakamura into Big E, knocking over his TV dinner. Very sad. Very, very sad. Nakamura rolls up Cruz and wins. Cruz attacks Nakamura after the match. And uh, glad Nakamura won this one. Uh, but obviously the story isn't about Nakamura. You know, they give him his good guy music back. They give him his uh, baby face music. And, uh, you know, no more rapping over it, just the violin. And we expect more from Nakamura. Expect the WWE to do a lot more with Nakamura. And uh, right now, for him to be kind of in limbo at the moment is kind of scary. But I do see Nakamura making a push, if not for the Intercontinental Championship. Hopefully, the Universal Championship after uh, Edge is done with Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns needs another opponent. Nakamura would, I think, be the perfect guy to step up to Reigns, given now that Nakamura is a... Uh, babyface and he's not in the elimination chamber match so it's not going to be a conflict of interest there in uh, stepping on people's toes to cut the line he he would be in in a prime spot given that he wasn't involved and now will be involved a full heel turn confirmed for Cruz he drops the steel steps onto Big E on the outside and Cruz is honestly the real victor of this match, even though he was in defeat in this one. Uh, he stays relevant, and he's staying relevant for as long as he can. Uh, right now, he's in a good story. He's in a good story, him and Big E. Uh, Big E does act a little, uh, comp- I wouldn't call it heelish. I wouldn't call it confident either. I would call it a little cocky. Uh, that's just the way I perceive it. You could perceive it in another way. I wouldn't call it heelish, but I wouldn't call it, you know, cheery, confident baby face. I would call it a little cocky, a little cocky. That's the way that it rubs off on me. But you could look at it in another way, and I totally understand that. Uh, but Cruz, he's going to try to make his way for the Intercontinental Championship, but the, the Rocket's strapped on Biggie for right now. And let's see how far this Rocket goes with Biggie. I'm not too sure. Uh, personally, I don't see Big E as a top champion in the WWE. I know that's uh, another tough pill for a lot of people to swallow, uh, given the fact that a lot of people were waiting for him to reach that top pinnacle point. But if Kofi could do it, I think he can do it too. But I don't see it as majestic as Kofi, Kofi was, given that he did it first. Uh, Big E, I see him having a good run, but I honestly might even want to see him have a better run as a heel than uh, a babyface or a cocky baby face at that uh, you know maybe the, the i wouldn't call it anti-hero either I, I think i just call him cocky at the moment uh next segment they have the seth rollins promo uh biggie is a really in the he, he's cornered away on a stretcher and they make it look like he's really injured and uh because of the steel steps being dropped on him and while he's being carted towards the back seth Rollins comes out uh, once also with the burn it down music still no more messiah stuff so the burn it in that that's his best entrance music ever right for, for him personally it goes that and then his shield music and what the messiah last if you will <laughs> I, I it was good for some people they enjoyed it but burn it down's burn it down man it, it, it tore the house down both as a face and as a heel yeah, that, that was some real good stuff with his music. But enough about the music. Uh, he understands Biggie's pain because he was betrayed by a friend. And Rollins feels that he was betrayed by the whole SmackDown locker room when they all walked away. He's angered at Cesaro for disrespecting him by staying but then leaving after the fact, almost rubbing in the salt into the wound. Tells everyone to embrace the vision. And uh, this was a common promo for me. It didn't really do much for me. It didn't blow me away. But I can't wait to see Seth Rollins 
back in in-ring action and that's when he'll really blow me away because you you know Seth Rollins puts on great shows he does a fantastic job in ring uh, whether he goes over as the victor or as the loser no matter what it's going to be a good match with Seth Rollins you know the the amount of times that we just saw him stand on the apron and be depressed yes it's a, it's told a good story but I much rather see Seth Rollins wrestle than see him cut a promo. He does a good job at that as well. And we even saw last uh, week uh, when he came in as a, a slight babyface in the beginning of the promo talking about him becoming a father. That's huge for him, and that was huge for everybody because we felt that emotionally. But uh, I really want to see him in ring. I, I miss that a lot. I miss Seth Rollins in ring. I miss him being a dominant force in the WWE. Uh, we, we really need him to get back into some in-ring action. Some people even argue that he should have been in that Elimination Chamber match. I don't think that would have done him any favors. Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, that can come again. We've seen it before. We've seen it again. I think that can come. But now with a different Roman Reigns, I don't want it to come too soon. And I'd rather, you know, we we could see a babyface Rollins when that comes. But I don't know with the way that they're trying to play out the rest of this Messiah gimmick, how far away that is. Six months, seven months. Yeah, that I'm probably... It's going to be a big card, a big show match, you know? Hopefully not at a, a payback, <laughs> wink, wink, <laughs> that we saw a few years back with Ambrose. But, you know, uh, hopefully you see that at a SummerSlam or a Survivor Series. And maybe even at next year's Rumble, that would be nice to see as well. Next segment, uh, women's tag team match. Don't get a lot of these on the, <laughs> the main card. Uh, Riot Squad versus Tamina and Natalia, great tag team chemistry early on from the Riot Squad. Uh, Billy Kay enters, of course she does, but I love Billy Kay. Enters wearing Tamina's shirt, and the slight distraction helps Tamina and Natalia pick up the victory. Uh, Tamina super kicks Billy Kay after the match, and leaving it at that. So Tamina and Natalia, they're on their own. Riot Squad, they're on their own. And Billy Kay is still being Billy Kay, switching sides whenever she can. I think Billy Kay does fantastic work. She's the saving grace of the women's division, in my opinion. That not in an in-ring sense, but in a, I guess you can call it a storytelling sense. Uh, I think she's hilarious. She's a great comedic relief. Uh, she does her job. She makes you laugh, and it might make you cringe sometimes, depending on what she gets involved in, especially with the Riot Squad stuff. Given that a lot of people want to see the Riot Squad succeed just to see the women's division succeed, but uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later because we do see some more women's action in this uh, SmackDown, and that's when I really want to get into talking about the women's tag team championships. And that's going to come right now on a Ding Dong Hello talk show segment with Bailey, her special guest being Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. The drip is absolutely immaculate. Let me say that again. Immaculate on Bailey. She had this turtleneck going on, but there was a little croppage. There was also a little like blazer going on. She, she, the drip was, and she had the glasses too. Bailey dripped out head to toe. Very nice. I really appreciate the fit there. You know, when they go all out like that, it's nice. It's nice to see. Uh, they, they start to talk about Sasha, Sasha Banks. Uh, Reginald enters. Uh, the sommelier for Carmella. And as they talk about Sasha Banks, uh, Sasha Banks enters. Uh, and soon after, so does Bianca Belair. And after a couple back and forths where uh, Reginald compares Banks to a fine wine and compares Jax and Baszler to, you know, the box stuff, the stuff that you don't want to drink, uh, a tag team match is set with Reginald involved in the match. So it goes Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Bailey versus Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair, and Reginald. 
So that's a man getting involved in a women's match. Reginald, uh, you know, he we haven't seen him in NXT. We, you know, he's not like a well-known professional wrestler in a WWE sense inside that bubble. But uh, for him to get involved, uh, they, they did a good job throughout this match getting him active. And we'll see especially towards the end. Uh, Reginald accidentally distracts Banks and Belair, allowing Jax to get into control. And uh, Bailey was actually wrestling this match in socks and the turtleneck still, by the way. Just wanted to make sure everyone knows. And, and she was wearing, like, the nice socks. She was wearing, like, the ones that got little designs on them. And Bailey, once again, dripped out. Very immaculate. Uh, Reginald enters face-to-face with Nia Jax, and Jax just tosses him around the ring. Reginald doing a great job bumping around as well. The leg drop misses, and obviously Nia Jax and her um, character arc with her. Is it appropriate to call it a character arc with her hole? Injuring her tailbone once again. How about we keep it a PG for that? Injuring her tailbone once again. Uh, Jax holds Reginald up across her chest, and in a double drop kick from Belair and Banks, and Reginald pins Nia Jax 1, 2, 3, and the, this is the one time where I'm kind of okay with the women tag team champions losing here. I'm kind of okay with this because it, it gives me the idea in my mind that the WWE is planning on taking these belts off of Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler and giving them to not only Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez, but NXT really try to develop this women's tag team division and with these belts uh, not only is it going to help NXT it's going to help the whole women's division it's going to help NXT uh, superstars find their way up to the main roster because when you hold these belts you get to travel to all three brands I think it's going to be a fantastic job uh, by the WWE if they get these belts off of Nia Jackson Shayna Baszler not because they're doing a bad job holding them but the thing is that, is that they're just holding them. You know, they have no one to really compete with. You know, you would expect a real tag team to come up and face them like the Iconics would have before they got split up. Maybe the Riot Squad could, but no, they're getting pushed down to the bottom of the card. Natalia and Tamina look really good, but I don't see the potential moving there either with the WWE. I really see something big with, uh, with uh, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. But... Uh, after I said all this, it comes out match made for Elimination Chamber. It's going to be Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler versus versus Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. They're going to tag team together. Now I'm gonna I'm telling you I'm saving my predictions for tomorrow because uh, I I want to give you guys my honest opinion and especially when the full card comes in as well because uh, WWE in these past couple uh, pay per views have putting some last-minute matches, especially now with Lacey Evans legitimately pregnant. We need to figure out what's going to happen with the WWE Raw Women's Championship match, if that's going to happen at all. So, now, uh, I'm not going to give any predictions right now, but let's just say i rather see the current champions stay current champions. I'd rather see that. I'll go into more depth with it tomorrow. Make sure you tune in right here, same place, same time. You know how it goes. Right here, Daily DDT Podcast, giving to you all the daily content you want. Uh, next match, Ray and Dominic Mysterio versus the Alpha Academy. This was a fun segment. This was a very, very fun segment. Uh, Ziggler and Rude on commentary. A lot of commentary pieces as well throughout the show. I'll, I'll, I'll make more light of that later in the card. Uh, they were drinking out of red solo cups, hinting at the Street Profits, of course, who that is their whole gimmick, the red uh, solo cups. Not I, I, appreciate, I love the Street Profits. They do a great job. Uh, Officially, 
this match is called off as Gable stayed in the ring too long, DQing him. We rarely ever see this in the WWE where, you know, you get to the five count and the ref either pushes you out the ring or, you know, stops counting. But no, they gets to the five count. And this isn't a botch here. This is a legitimate movement in the match and great storytelling as well. Uh, Gable doing his best to train Otis in the ring, but gets too involved and gets ends up getting the match tossed out, uh, giving Ray and Dominic the victory. But as the as they continue, Gable once again gets too involved and after the bell convinces Otis to connect with a second rope splash onto Rey Mysterio. Cole said it best on commentary, uh, completely out of character for Otis. And it, Otis doing this under the action of Gable, we sort of get a deeper relationship between the two. They sort of paired them up right before the Royal Rumble, maybe uh, bef- a little bit before that as well, and to try to get Otis ready for the Royal Rumble. What we saw come out of this was a little strange, but at the same time, it not only developed the trainer-student relationship, it also developed what these two characters mean to each other. Gable is a dominating Otis, even though not from a size standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, convincing Otis to do these things from, uh, you know, on your trainer, you have to do these things. Otis didn't seem reluctant either, so there might be some type of brainwashing aspect to it as well. So uh, I really like this because after Otis and uh, Tucker, that fizzled away and, you know, they haven't really built off of that at all. Uh, After all the stuff with Otis and Mandy Rose and that fizzled away as well, I really wanted to see some depth with Otis. I really wanted to see what... Uh, they really want to build with and now I finally see some depth I finally see some emotion he's not just a big guy that does a caterpillar every match he's a guy that is now involved with Gable in a way where it makes Gable look even worse in a way that we didn't really expect we, in a way that it's a little off-putting because everyone loves Otis why is Gable making Otis do these things and why is Otis okay with it you know so it gave us some emotion there that I feel like Otis and Gable both really needed Really, really needed. So that was appreciated. Uh, um, This isn't a full segment, but I thought this was hilarious. Uh, Backstage, I don't really talk about a ton of the backstage talking segments. Edge went from person to person in the SmackDown Elimination Chamber match and talked to them a little bit. And in the backstage segment where Daniel Bryan and Cesaro are talking about the main event match coming up next, uh, Kevin Owens walks in and they sort of give Kevin Owens the cold shoulder because they're afraid that uh, Kevin Owens is going to turn on them like how he's done in the past to multiple people. Daniel Bryan brings up uh, a phrase and he says, uh, maybe I should have made a list of how many people you have turned your back on hinting at the list from Chris Jericho. Very good and very subtle there, but he, he I wouldn't say that he stuck his neck out to say that, but uh, it was definitely uh, a play on words and, ob- and obvious phrasing to hint at Jericho. Which was really nice, you know. You don't see that too too often in the WWE anymore. But now, when they slide him in every once in a while, and especially if you've been watching for a long time, you you appreciate those little things, the little bones. Especially a guy like Daniel Bryan likes to toss out every once in a while. So, as a person that watches a lot of professional wrestling, I appreciated that bone from Daniel Bryan. Very nice, and that that got a huge pop out of me. I thought that was hilarious. Made event time. Sami Zayn, King Corbin, and Jey Uso team up versus Kevin Owens, Cesaro, and Daniel Bryan. Edge on commentary. And now I'm going to get to this point. Guess commentary all night, pretty much. Uh, We saw from the top to bottom 
throughout almost the whole show, there was guest commentary. And this isn't new for SmackDown either. For weeks and weeks now, I've gotten a couple texts from a couple of my friends as well saying, you notice there's a lot of guest commentary? And I, I feel like I'm really seeing it now. They really go hard with that. And you know what? It's not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing, especially when you pick the right people to be on commentary. Having Edge on commentary, it's a good thing because we don't hear from him. They haven't heard from him for that often because he's been away from WWE for so long. You know, especially coming off of injury once again. We want to see more Edge and we got more of it. Having a person like Dominic Mysterio on commentary, I didn't I didn't think that was the best move for the WWE because you expose Dominic a little bit there. You want to put a person on commentary that's going to hold their own and make it their own spot, like like how Big E does. He does a great job on commentary. So did uh, Rude and Ziggler. They did a great job on commentary as well. All night, but they did a good job. But you got to make sure you're putting the right people on there or else you're going to expose somebody that isn't that strong on the microphone yet, like Dominic Mysterio. Nothing against him. He's going to be a great talent, but he got a little bit exposed on commentary a few weeks back when they put him on. Uh, the heel team early on of Zayn Corbin and Uso having a tough time gelling together. Uh, Cesaro is sent over the announce table and uh, into the laps of Michael Cole and Corey Graves. Edge was able to avoid that. And uh, we get to see Paul Heyman on commentary as well. Once again, a guy that I don't need to say can hold himself. He can hold himself and 20 other people with the way that he can speak. Paul Heyman. Chaos ensues, leaving Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan in the ring. Yes, lock Zayn taps. And Daniel Bryan, Cesaro, and Kevin Owens win. To end the show, a huge finisher fest between everybody involved, getting everyone excited for the Elimination Chamber. And that finisher fest ends with a spear by Edge to Sami Zayn. And then Roman Reigns appearing out of nowhere, spearing Edge and standing tall as the show fades to black. So the show starts quasi with Roman Reigns and ends with Roman Reigns. That's usually how it goes for these Friday Night Smackdowns. But as the top guy, not only on Smackdown, but in the company, uh, he deserves it. He deserves it a lot. And uh, final grade for this show, I haven't really thought about it until this moment. I'm going to go with a B because I really like what they did throughout the whole card. I think I might even go high. I'm going to go B+. Plus. I'm going B+. Plus. Uh, I, I, everything they did throughout this show, I think, was really spot on uh, from the open to the Apollo Crew stuff. The only big knock was Shitsuke Nakamura and the Riot Squad and Tamina Natalia match. Uh, Seth Rollins' promo was a little bit of a knock, too. So, yeah, I'm a confident with the B-plus because this was a go-home show, and I think it got me really excited for the Elimination Chamber. It did its job. It did its job. It did what it needed to do. It makes me want to sit down and watch the Elimination Chamber match. Covering it or not, I would be excited to watch this match, especially after, after how the show ended with all the finishers and seeing everyone that's going to be involved in the match put on their best work. Uh, I, I was very privy to that as well. So, good on this SmackDown, and good on SmackDown in general, because NXT is doing a great job, SmackDown's doing a fantastic job as well, the only show really struggling for the WWE right now is the flagship show, and that's Monday Night Raw, they're really having a tough time, uh, in my opinion, putting some cohesive shows together, I think a lot of that has to do with it being three hours at this point, because they have to fill three hours of content, and it's tough to do without... You know, you can't. It's really tough to put on a great three-hour show every week because there's going to be things in the middle that are going to be bad. You can cut those things out if it's a two-hour show. You know, so that that's the only thing for me. One day, one day when Raw goes back to two hours, if it ever does, if it ever does, I'll be very surprised if it does. You know, there's a lot of money involved as well. But 
uh, Raw could be back on that same level as well. But NXT SmackDown and SmackDown this week really stepped up, did a good job. We're going to head into the break, but stick around because I'm going to go through my top 10 Elimination Chamber matches of all time. Stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on February 20th, 2011 WWE hosted its second ever Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. The card included two fantastic Elimination Chamber matches along with The Miz defeating Jerry the King Lawler to retain the WWE Championship. Normally I would go a little bit more in depth into those Elimination Chamber matches but hint hint they both might be on my top 10 list. Wink wink hint hint. And we're going to go straight into that. My top 10 Elimination Chamber matches of all time. The Elimination Chamber been around for a while, been back since 2002 when it's made its debut, and they've had a total of, I believe, 24 Elimination Chamber matches. I think my math is right on that, uh, and now coming into this year, it's going to be uh, 25 and 26 Elimination Chamber matches. So, very excited for the upcoming Elimination Chamber, but before we get into that, and tomorrow is going to be my predictions for uh, Sunday night's Elimination Chamber. I'm going to look back a little bit, give you my top 10. Starting at number 10, No Way Out, 2009, uh, Monday Night Raw's Elimination Chamber. That consisted of Edge, Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, John Cena, Mike Knox, I might have forgotten that name, and Kane. And uh, to tell a story about this el- Elimination Chamber match, I have to tell you about the story of the Elimination Chamber match earlier in the night. Uh, that was for the WWE Championship that Edge held coming into that match, and he was on SmackDown. Edge was the champion and was eliminated by Jeff Hardy in an inside cradle just three minutes into the match. In the end of the match, the game, Triple H defeated The Undertaker uh, to win his fourth elimination chamber and uh, won, won his 13th world title. So now we have that prelude set. Later in the night, Edge attacked Kofi Kingston and replaced him in the main event of the pay-per-view. Uh, Edge will enter in at number five, eliminate John Cena and Rey Mysterio and win the match along with the World Heavyweight Championship. I remember watching this as a kid and even then I was confused how Edge got to stay in the match. Is what like just because you attack somebody doesn't mean you get their spot. Even given the fact that you're on the whole other brand, doesn't mean you get their spot. But uh, I felt like this really built the narrative of Edge being the ultimate opportunist, uh, opportunist in my mind. And uh, still to this day, Edge is the ultimate opportunist, still waiting to see who's going to be uh, the winner of these Elimination Chamber matches today and find out who... Uh, he will pick for the main event of WrestleMania. That, once again, the, the story building and the uh, whole idea of Edge as a character being that ultimate, get the guy that takes advantage of every moment, uh, face or heel, uh, even then was, was phenomenal. Looking at number nine, New Year's Revolution 2005. And, and this match has a ton of action, everything you want in a pro wrestling match as a pro wrestling fan. Uh, it had hard-hitting stuff along with some great mat work. Uh, the entertainment aspect as well from that match with Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee getting involved in the match as well, super-kicking edge. Uh, coming out on top in this match was Triple H as the World Heavyweight Champion. And this match was an important step on the road to Batista turning his back on Evolution 
And uh, plenty of Elimination Chamber matches are set up for WrestleMania. There's a reason why Elimination Chamber usually is on the road to WrestleMania. It's that great twist in the road that, you know, you usually go from the Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber, WrestleMania. And then, you know, nowadays they put in a fast lane or something like that or a, 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 a Saudi show. In, in the way, but I, I really like the fact of an elimination chamber because it gives that aspect. You think anybody could win it? Not as close as a Royal Rumble would, but close enough where you sort of feel that same idea of uh, the six guys in this match. They're all former champions. They're all getting pushed really well. Anybody could really win this. So, uh, especially when matches are like that and they're all big names, that's when I really appreciate. It. And that's how it was New Year's Revolution 2005. Number eight, gotta give some love to the ladies. The first ever women's elimination chamber match. Uh, this is the first ever match. I think this was 2018, yes. And this is the first ever chamber match. And I think it has to belong in this list. Fantastic storytelling throughout. Sasha Banks turning on Bailey, allowing B- Bliss to pin them both. And Bliss winning the Raw Women's Championship. Great work. Great work. I, I hope we get to see a women's elimination chamber match soon. And we're not going to see one this year, at least uh, as I record this. There has been no notification of a women's elimination chamber match. Given there's already two on the card, for them to put three, I feel like it would be a little much. And it's going to be a long show if they put three. But hopefully next year we'll see one. And I really appreciate if we see at least one. You know, And, and the one that they did last year, they had Shayna Baszler go the whole way, eliminate everybody. Made her look like an absolute beast, but made everyone else look weak. So it wasn't really the best women's elimination chamber. Uh, but this one, the first one ever, definitely belongs on the list. 2002, first ever Elimination Chamber match. And this is the one, I just have in my notes here, Triple H's throat dies. (laughs) This was the first ever Elimination Chamber match in general. And I'm not going to lie, this wasn't a perfect match. Shawn Michaels' pod didn't open in the correct order, not to mention his super short haircut. Well, not super short, but one that you're not used to seeing on Shawn Michaels. The brown pants. RVD crushing Triple H's windpipe. At the end of the day, Shawn Michaels was the victor. And there's a lot of stories that come out of this match as well. Like I said, uh, you know, how it was dangerous to work in. Uh, I think Chris Jericho was quoted as saying uh, how you could see that the structure wasn't built by a person that's in professional wrestling. It was just built to be built. And everything was stiff. It didn't make good sound. Stuff that could have been made out of rubber was made out of real metal. So everything actually hurt. So it wasn't a safe working environment, if you will. And also how the chamber was just designed on a napkin. Uh, it, it just just to be designed on a napkin. You know, a couple great things come from uh, napkins in the back of uh, paper bags. What, what was it? The Abraham Lincoln's address, the Gettysburg address, was on the back of like a lunch bag or something like that. So maybe great things come from, uh, from lunch items, if you will. Uh, I looked back in this match, and I recognize the importance of it. It's the perfect stop, as I said. It's on the road to WrestleMania. It makes you think anything could happen. And if it wasn't for this first match, we wouldn't see the Elimination Chamber today. Even though it was clunky, it was such a spectacle. There's a reason why it's still here today. Same thing with the Money in the Bank. Same thing with the Royal Rumble. It, the, they just worked. There's a lot of stipulations in professional wrestling that haven't worked, you know. But, like, having things on a pole. That doesn't really work for me. But having the Elimination Chamber match uh, and putting it on this road to WrestleMania... Really, really huge. Number six, No Way Out 2008. And when you think of an Elimination Chamber match, this is probably what you think of. You got your big guys, your little guys, your high flyers, your power punchers, past champions, future contenders, all all duking it out. And and that's what is really big for me. This match had JBL, had Umaga, 
uh, it had um, Jeff Hardy, and the big match, a big spot from this match was uh, Jeff Hardy doing a swanton bomb off of the top of the pod. Uh, JBL brought a chair into the ring, and uh, funny enough, this match wasn't even for the title. It's for a shot at WrestleMania. Coming out on top was, of course, Triple H, and would go on and win uh, to face Randy Orton and John Cena at WrestleMania 24, one of my youthful favorite WrestleManias. That was one of the one of the first ones I remember very vividly, WrestleMania 24. And that match, that triple threat match, uh, a lot of people don't put that in their top echelon of matches, but I do because it's near and dear to my heart, and especially with all the entrances, Triple H's entrance breaking through the mirrors, and you know, Randy Orton, I think, still had his old theme at the time. Fantastic. Fantastic. In my mind, I, I hold it to an upper echelon. So, uh, number five, Jack Swagger winning in 2013. Uh, this was the peak of Jack Swagger's run in the WWE. Uh, the Elimination Chamber match was for a title shot at WrestleMania 29 against uh, Alberto Del Rio. And Swagger had some great spots in this match. He eliminated Randy Orton and won the Elimination Chamber by eliminating Randy Orton. Uh, a lot of people forget about this match, funny enough. And it's, in my opinion, it's extremely underrated. And because of the performance that Swagger gave throughout this match, and I don't blame a lot of people for forgetting this match either because it was on the build to WrestleMania 29, and it wasn't super memorable, that build itself. I really had to dig deep to find this one and find uh, the, the whole situation, but I did remember it. So it did stick in my mind, Jack Swagger picking up that victory over Orton in the chamber. But... You know, I, had a, I forgot when it was. I forgot who he was facing at Mania. I forgot what Mania was. But uh, for him to pick up that victory, that was very big. Now, going back to the On This Day in Pro Wrestling history, 2011, John Cena winning the Elimination Chamber. You might remember this match with the CM Punk pod malfunction causing him to be eliminated just to return because of the Raw general manager, then to be eliminated again. Uh, one of the reasons I have this so high uh, of a spot is, one, because of the John Morrison spot when he climbed to the top of the chamber almost, almost reached like the pinnacle of it and dropped down onto Sheamus, eliminating, eliminating Sheamus from the match. That was really, really big and a fantastic spot that doesn't get talked about enough, not even close to enough. Now that Morrison's back in the WWE as well, you know, I understand why they wouldn't talk about it because he's all over working for different promotions. But now that he's back, this is a highlight spot that needs to be talked about more often and shown on TV. You know, they, they, I guess they like to show the new Elimination Chamber, the one that's padded on the outside, not with the graded floor, which I get, you know, it's more modern. But it, that was a huge spot in history that I think needs to be recognized. And also, this match was the launching point for the Cena Punk feud going into the summer of 2011. And that Cena Punk feud culminating, at, not culminating, but having one of the biggest moments in professional wrestling history at Money in the Bank in Chicago in 2011. That This is where it started, right here at this Elimination Chamber. So for that match, uh, for this match, to build up to that match, it, there has to always be a starting point, and I think that's one of the reasons why I have this so high. Uh, the, the John Cena winning the Elimination Chamber in 2011, and uh, number three, I have Edge winning the Elimination Chamber in 2011 as well. So the the SmackDown brand of it, uh, the Mysterio and Edge, th this was their show for the for Edge's version of the Elimination Chamber. Uh, both started off the match as the first two, and both ended as the last two. Edge won after connecting on an 
absolutely ruthless, ruthless spear on Mysterio as he fell from the top rope. And this match had Kane, The Big Show, Drew McIntyre, Wade Barrett. All had solid matches in, in a match that went, I think, a little under 30. So for a great match, two, think about that. Number three and number four, I both have from 2011. Maybe this is me giving my bias here because that is, once again, a part of my prime in professional wrestling. You know, my, my, that's when I really started watching a lot and getting more dedicated. Maybe it's my bias showing through a little bit. I'm not afraid to admit that. But these were two undeniably great matches that just so happened to be in a tough era of professional wrestling as a whole. But what did they lead to? It led to John Cena and Punk having a fantastic feud. And the Edge, and not a fantastic feud, but one of the greatest feuds in professional wrestling history, if you will. And Edge winning... Uh, it not only showed off what Edge could do, it showed off what Mysterio can do, and that spot at the end of the match with um, Mysterio, once again, doesn't get shown enough either. I feel like it really should be more appreciated. Number two, Bray Wyatt winning his first WWE Championship in 2017, that Elimination Chamber. Uh, they brought back the Elimination. It was gone for 2016, came back for 2017, and coming into this match, John, John Cena won the WWE Championship two weeks prior, and he would be eliminated from the match before the final two, which was kind of unheard of because no, no one would. You just, he just won the championship. Why would be, why would he be eliminated so early, and assume that there were going to be a new champion then? And what puts this match so high for me is that Bray came out victorious when no one expected him to at all. No one expected him to win this match. Putting in a great performance, eliminating John Cena, eliminating AJ Styles. And the 2017 Elimination Chamber pay-per-view as a whole wasn't great. I'm not going to say that it was a great pay-per-view. But this match was fantastic, given the fact that Bray won the championship. Maybe I'm showing bias here once again because Bray is one of the top professional wrestlers in the WWE at the moment when it comes to storytelling when it comes even comes to in-ring stuff because he just he tells stories with his body as well and what he's able to do in the ring even though it might not be the most athletic thing athletic in the world it's definitely uh, poetic it's definitely brute it's definitely something that can't be replicated by someone just getting into professional wrestling or is very green he is experienced as experienced gets for someone that is relatively young in the professional wrestling WWE verse, if you will, relatively young. Relative, I know he went through FCW and all stuff like that. That that was a ways away, but relatively young. It's not like we're talking about Triple H. We're talking about Bray Wyatt, and uh, I can't wait to see Bray Wyatt back. You know, and I know I say I can't wait, but I also can wait because I don't want to see anything be rushed with him either. This might be my tangent here, just talking about Bray Wyatt, just to talk about him, but. Uh, everything that he's done and everything that he's put his hands on, I think, has been golden throughout all of 2020. He was able to carry that Fiend character to great heights and even put the belt on him for a little bit. I don't think the Fiend character needs the belt at all. I think the Fiend would be a great transitional champion, much like how the Undertaker was. Undertaker wasn't a great champion. He was a great transitional champion to move from one person to another. But the myth mythicism of it and the fantasy of it, uh, it's something that, I appreciate when done well, and Bray Wyatt does it extremely, extremely well. Moving to the number one spot, drumroll please, the start of Kofi Mania, Elimination Chamber 2019. Do I need to say any more? I don't think I really do, but I will. 
Uh, not only was this match one of the best Elimination Chamber matches of all time, but one of the best matches as a whole in 2019, which isn't easy, easy to do given a ton of great matches were uh, in 2019, not only in WWE, but outside of it as well. Uh, a 36-minute masterpiece, in my opinion, uh, on what an Elimination Chamber is supposed to do, and that is to build towards WrestleMania. And you couldn't have built anybody any more than Kofi Kingston, uh, Styles, Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy, Randy Orton. They're all in this match. And uh, they all could have won it, too. They all could have won it. But uh, the iron was hot with Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan, so WWE did the right thing. And what they do, rarely do, and give us what we want to see. And we want to see those, those underdogs get pushed. Daniel Bryan was a big heel at this time in 2019. Kofi Kingston was a guy that's hot and moving up in the card, seemingly getting his chance at the Elimination Chamber. And uh, Kofi did not win this match at the Elimination Chamber, but he would go on to have a match at WrestleMania for the WWE Championship and against Daniel Bryan and would win the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 35 at MetLife. Uh, but it all started there at 2019 Elimination Chamber. And that was the start of Kofi Mania. What better way would you want an uh, Elimination Chamber to go over? You have a match that gets over not only the champion, but the contender for the upcoming WrestleMania match that would then be put together. And uh, everyone in the world was behind Kofi Kingston, and he did it. He, and for a person that absolutely deserved it for his tenure in the WWE, we know the story that comes after. He loses it to Lesnar, but... It, we, we will forever have in our minds Kofi Mania and how important that was at WrestleMania. Next episode, going to be talking about my predictions for this year's Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. And just a reminder, I was a perfect 5 for 5. Yeah, you heard that right. 5 for 5 on the NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. So uh, call your bookies. Let them know that uh, you're waiting for your, your uh, consultant. And your consultant is me. And, uh, uh, by the way, uh, don't, don't bet. Don't bet. <laughs> I'd say no responsibility. I don't even know if there's a, a bookie anymore for... I know there's, there's bookie stuff for the Rumble. And there's probably going to be stuff for Mania, too. But Elimination Chamber, uh, I, I wouldn't think there would be lines on that. If there is, I'd be curious to see what they are. And I, I would like to find those. But, uh, but for my predictions, I, I don't look at any lines. I go strictly off of what's inside my noggin. And what I think is going to happen and how WWE is going to try to book going forward. So, uh, definitely excited for the Elimination Chamber. SmackDown did a good job. And uh, that's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.